This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. All right, we're back for another episode of Rocks to Roots podcast. You know, I forgot to say, Dwayne, it's so great to see your smile. (laughs) (laughs) A whole winter without seeing it, huh? Yes, exactly. And And you too, Brennan. Great to see your smile. (laughs) (laughs) I've missed those. (laughs) So how's your day been today, Dwayne? Uh, The day's been pretty good. We've been uh, out there messing around with our chickens, fencing off areas, and... um, Seeding cover crops so that they have more to eat out there. More healthy oh. eggs and, yeah, better chickens. Awesome. Showing those chickens some love. And you, how's everything going here at the office? Oh, you know, things are buzzing in the office. We have just this little thing that we do every year called the annual tree sale. And so trees are starting to show up. Um, our pre-sale period has ended online. We are had an amazing response to the tree sale this year. We had, in just a six-week pre-sale period, we had 1,083 orders placed. Wow. And 91,000 seedlings are spoken for this year. 91,000. Yes. So those seedlings are showing up right now. Our forestry department and our volunteers are doing a fabulous job of getting those packed away into all of those individual orders. And then we will have pickup and our surplus sale on April 8th and 9th. Well, that's awesome. Where's uh, where's the pickup going to be at? So our pickup, that's a great question because we actually um, have moved offices. We are now located just less than a mile away from our old office. Our new address is 4422 East 8th Avenue in the Spokane Valley. So we are excited to be here. We're excited for our, all of our customers to show up and see our new space and everything and all the opportunities we have that come along with it. That sounds great. And last year, COVID prevented um, kind of people from picking up extra or excess plants. Yeah. How's it going to be this year? Can can folks come and get any extras if they miss their orders or if they just see something really good looking and they want to get more of? Yes, that is something we are super excited to bring back this year. We are bringing back our surplus sale. So any order mistakes or any seedlings that did not get... Um, ordered in the pre-sale period will be available on those pickup days, April 8th and 9th. So April 8th, the surplus sale will run from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And on April 9th, the sale will run from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So come on over if you're looking for some additional seedlings for your landscape or your property, and we'll have those available for you. Sounds great. Well, and leading into that, we have a... um, Well, joining us today on the podcast, we have Kelly Chadwick, ISA certified arborist and founder of Spirit Pruners. Thanks for being here, Kelly. Nice to be here. How's your day been going so far, Kelly? Uh, I've had a a really nice day. I actually, hopefully my staff doesn't hear this. I went and got some body work this morning. Oh, nice. But I, it's somebody that I'm testing out for uh, a company on like accessible company body worker. If anyone's feeling out of sorts or their body's imbalanced. 
Um, okay. So he passed the test. So I'm going to kind of put him on call. Oh, that's awesome. Self-care is very important. Yeah. Yeah. So I was be a new man, huh? Just walking around with tons of energy, flexible muscles. I feel pretty, good. I feel pretty good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Kelly, um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you first got interested in arboriculture. I had no intention to be an arborist. I had a, a wonderful job in the wine corporate wine business and distribution. Oh. Um, and I worked for this amazing company and I started pruning because I came back from Italy and pruned a plum tree at my house like they did over there and killed it. Oh, shoot. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I took a class with Jeff Perry, uh, who was doing like a, an extension class, an afternoon class uh, to the city. And I really enjoyed it. And so for several years, I carried around hand pruners and a sod and would just, I don't even remember what I did. I don't even want to think about the quality <laughs> of my pruning at that time, but I was enthusiastic, but still no concept of being an arborist. And, um, there was a series of unexpected events that happened that made me think about some changes in my life. And at the same time, I asked Jeff Perry if I wanted to learn more about trees, what would I do? And he sent me to uh, 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 Rich Baker. I don't know if you know Rich Baker. No. He was he was a legendary arborist in this area that did a lot of work developing methods and was highly respected, um, pretty eccentric fellow, uh, very sincere. He, he felt like that um, he was a servant of God and his job was to tend to the garden of of God, and he taught at SCC, and I took this class with him, and it blew my mind. He was, he was so inspired, and he was so specific in the techniques he taught, and I was that was it. Once I took that class, and it's funny because my the corporation I worked for, I said, "Hey, can I take this class on Mondays?" Uh-huh. And so they, I was being paid by my corporation to go take this tree class, which I ended up leaving <laughs> the business for. But nice. um, so I, then I just studied for a year, and the city helped me some. And it was, it still was really just a hobby. And then one day I, I recognized that there was a lot of mediocre tree work. And I was like, you know what? I can do better than most of what I'm seeing out there. And so I, th- I just thought I'll, I'll maybe I'll do a job for money. And my girlfriend at the time just laughed at me because I was a super white collar nerdy guy with n- no manual labor, blue collar experience at all. I was like, I think, I don't know. I think you're wrong. And like a week later, a neighbor said, Hey, Kelly, I know you've been learning all that stuff. Can I hire you to prune my tree? And I was like, yeah, it was perfect timing. Uh So I pruned them. I didn't charge them very much. And it was really fun. And while I was in that tree, three other neighbors from the neighborhood, people I didn't know, walked by and asked me if I pruned their tree. And from that very first tree till this moment, as I sit before you, I have not caught up. And and like three years into it, I got to a point where when I got into winter, I was 70 jobs behind. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So and then I just, you know, so I stay. So what I did was I started working on weekends and um, doing my corporate job on weekdays. It was just for fun. And then I hired some teenagers to do my paperwork, um, (laughs) which had some problems associated with that, but I mostly got it done. (laughs) And then after six months, I just realized the momentum in it and my passion for it. And I gave my company a three-month notice and then left. I thought I'd need side work, but I didn't have any debt. And it just, that's what I've been doing ever since. That's awesome. So, so yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that there were some things in the tree care industry that you saw that were missing that thought you br- you could bring to the table. What specifically were some of those things that you saw? Was it just the, the skill of pruning? You know, or? especially then, a majority of the people that got into tree care were loggers or landscapers. Mm-hmm. And so they had often a lot of passion for the equipment 
or the work or being outside, but they didn't have a foundation of tree knowledge. I just, you see, I just saw a lot of work that was not based in, in knowledge or a, a level of thoughtfulness about where they're working that was important to me. And I just looked at it and said, I, I know I can do better than that. And that's actually how I got in the wine business. I had a, I was working at a restaurant in my mid twenties and the wine rep that came in was terrible. And I was like, I could do better than that. So I got a job in the wine business and spent 14 years there. And I had a mushroom business and it's just, it's been a, th that I did the same thing. And I, I just feel like if you approach anything in terms of looking for what's missing, mm -hmm. that there's an immense amount of opportunity for doing a good job in almost any industry, regardless of how competitive it is. You know, like in the wine list, I'd walk into places and I would just literally look at their wine list and notice what was missing and tell them. And it was incredible how few people did that. So that's what this was. I just, you know, we have a reputation for being thoughtful in that way, mm -hmm. but really anyone can do it. It's, it's, um, I think reputations often precede ability or the person with that receives that perceived reputation doesn't really warrant it because everybody's looking for what's the right thing. What's the best thing. You know, we have that, that kind of bias as a culture and, often is just an intention or an attitude or a slight difference, but you're not necessarily doing that much more, that much better than anyone. Mm -hmm. And I think now the tree care industry has evolved a lot since once I started and has definitely has a higher caliber of work. So tell us about Spirit Pruners and some of the technical assistance and the other services that you guys offer. We focus more on pruning than removals. Removals are more profitable and they're easier because they're bigger jobs. So it takes less management and it's also easier to have a perceived value to the customer. So in that sense, it's more challenging than, than removals. However, uh, everybody else does removals. And most companies do, you know, upward of 80%. And they like that because, you know, it's fun, it's easy, it's profitable. Because everybody else does that, we, we don't feel like we need to. And actually last year, I got, when I first started, I wasn't going to prune bushes, plant trees, or do removals because I was foolish and also, you know, new. And then, of course, I ended up doing all those things. Over time, we ended up taking on bigger removals. And I was just about last year to buy a bunch of big equipment to take it to the next level. And I thought, why am I doing this? You know, everybody does this. I don't need to. This is not important to me. And I, I really believe in not having fear in life. I feel like so many people come from a perspective of, of fear or feeling like they need to control an outcome to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's opposite of how reality actually works in, in the kind of optimum state of flow. So I was just like, told my staff that we're not going to do big removals. And so we'll take things on and we still do, you know, I don't know, 20% or something. And I have guys who are great at them. It's just not where we want to put our energy. And also just ideologically, we change a tremendous number of customers' minds about doing removals. And the industry standard in this area, at least before I came on, I'd say there was more businesses than not that would lean toward removal. Partially out of safety, it was, you know, it, it's less complicated. Mm -hmm. So people would just say, oh, yeah, you should move that tree. It has gall or it's leaning a little bit. That's changed. We, we go, we're more aggressive that way. Like we'll really try hard to tell people if we don't think it's your move not to. And we'll, we pass on a lot of jobs. I honestly think we passed on over $100,000 of the work last year wow. um, in removals that we didn't feel good about. But so often people are willing to listen. If you say things in a non-judgmental way, in a non-righteous way, you can be very straightforward about what you think, but you're disrespectful. And people often change their minds. And we, we try to come up with solutions where 
you know, maybe, maybe we reduce a tree, which is considered not the best practice, right? But if it's maybe a spruce in an area that has a bad footing, like on a retaining wall and has a, a lot of exposure to wind, and the option is to remove it or to keep it, I'll bring it down 12 feet. And mm-hmm. that tree gets to live for at least another, you know, 20, 30 years. So we're always thinking about options that way. Mm-hmm. Well, so I live up on the South Hill. And so these windstorms, man, yeah. when they come in, it's like, ah, you know, freaking looking around, looking at the trees. And it breaks my heart when I do see these tree removals. So I can imagine that you're having a little bit more of those conversations when you see storms like that come in. Yeah. Well, especially that one, you know, we had a few years ago that was powerful. A lot of Mm -hmm. kids too were somewhat traumatized because they just always thought this is reality. Trees are fun and beautiful. (laughs) And then all of a sudden it was like a war zone. And I knew, I know a counselor in a um, elementary school here that had a lot of students coming in fear and trauma Mm -hmm. about trees. (laughs) So it definitely has influenced. And one of the problems is as, as trees come down in storm events or people thin them, that increases the chance of the adjacent trees coming down Mm -hmm. fairly dramatically. I mean, definitely it's a measurable, noticeable impact. So there is a little bit of a cascading effect, but when I tell people, I mean, I just say that I have a very high risk tolerance risk, you know, on average in the United States, it's like one or two people die. There was a woman that died in Yakima a few years ago. A branch fell on her at like at a, it was like at a, one of those um, Renaissance fairs or something uh-huh. and killed her, which is, you know, ironic that that's nearby, but people don't tend to die. So it's like, if you think about that, you know, there's 300 and whatever, 70 million Americans, I don't know how many, mm-hmm. nobody dies and very few people get hurt. So it's like, if your tree falls in your house, it's probably not a big deal most of the time. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not like... <laughs> So I tend to come from that point of view and people are open to it. And I just gauge people's risk tolerance. It's really hard to predict when a tree is going to come down. And once you get over 70 mile an hour winds, Mm -hmm. giving someone a false sense of security about your ability as a risk assessor, or other companies, I think is like a dubious position to be in. And I say that to people. So I will tell them everything I can think of all the factors and kind of my perception of percentage of risk and then encourage them just to live with it. So talking these trees that are falling down everywhere, is it, bad planting, like the wrong tree in the wrong spot? Or is it just nature? Is it uh, any of the ponderosas that don't have a windbreak anymore? It's more of the latter. I mean, most of the trees that come down, you know, in terms of numbers are pines. Spruces are obviously the most likely because they have a um, shallow root plate. So I think statistically, they're the most likely tree to come down globally, or at least in temperate zones. Yeah, we don't see a lot of failures now that you say that in, you know, non-native trees. Do deciduous trees have a deeper root? I always thought ponderosas had a taproot that would actually help prevent them from falling. Well, taproot, they, they can. Taproot's kind of a little bit of a misunderstood concept. Okay. It's not like big trees to have these big roots that go down. Okay, yeah, it's I literally small, have dandelion so, in my head. Like, right. this ponderosa has a mile-long taproot type deal. Not, yeah, I'm or, exaggerating, but yeah. And um, I got to ask, because I don't know what the term taproot means. So, Well, when, when young trees are starting, they will send a root down. to kind of initiate the development of the root plate, but then it tends to turn or stop and put out side roots. And so by the time the tree's large, it's, it's, you you wouldn't even recognize it. It wouldn't even really exist if say the root plate is like two or three feet deep in a large tree. There are certain species that do that, but that's not the issue. And most of the tree stability comes from, you know, it's the width of its root plate and more the ones that are pulling the tension than the ones that it's pushing against. That's far more important. So if the ground's like wet or there's sand, you know, if there's, if there's bedrock underneath, those are, those are, um, 
issues. I used to be very cavalier. No, I wouldn't use the word cavalier, but I used to be tell, you know, mostly if I was like, you know, your tree's fine. But then I, over time, I did have a couple of trees fail that I'd said that about. <laughs> so I'm way more careful. I had a tree on um, the bloom the Bloomsday route that was a big old willow tree that got hit by a car, some junk driver hitting it, like going 70 miles an hour. Mm. But it was massive. I mean, I don't remember. It was like seven feet in diameter or something. Wow. And it had a big crack in it, but I, but it wasn't that tall because it didn't top that. I was like, I don't know. It looks fine to me, you know? <laughs> like, it's, let's just see if it lives. And then literally like two days before Bloomsday, it blew over into the street. Oh, shit. And so that kind of changed my approach. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it was two days before, not during. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they did eventually hire me again, that family. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so Kelly, talk to us a little bit more about some of those other environmental friendly approaches that you um, bring with spirit pruners and some of the environmentally friendly products that you use as well. I would say that the answer to that is a little more of an overall intention mm-hmm. than a level of execution that I wish I could answer. We we do have a number of things. Um, we used to use gloves that were uh, actual rubber, natural rubber and recycled plastic. Mm-hmm. And that was important to me, but the company stopped making them because not as many people valued them. And it's real specific, the kind of grippiness. Mm-hmm. So right now our gloves, you know, I'm waiting for an answer. The chainsaw oil, we use canola oil. Um, some arborists won't because it can be a little gummy in cooler temperatures. And over time it takes a little more cleaning, but you're not spewing, you know, fossil fuels all over the place when you're, when you're using it. So, and that was something that's used a lot. Like I think in Sweden it's required. They have their own blend, oh, wow. uh, but we just get these containers of vegetable oil or canola oil at Costco. And I just, I feel great about it and you can spill it. It just doesn't matter. You know, it's just vegetable oil. So that'd be one. We use a lot of um, battery powered tools as much as possible. I think I was the first person in Washington state to have a professional battery powered uh, chainsaw. Um, when Husqvarna came out with those, I ran and got one. And um, so we, we have a lot of those in our, now and those are nice not just from an environmental point of view but also sound pollution mm. you know you're not running a chainsaw the whole time you just like when you hit the button it's going and it's it the, the noise doesn't travel as far even though it's high pitched and kind of unpleasant oh that's nice so that's really important to me i feel like that's one of those qualities of our society that as people become desensitized and we're more aware of what's our optimum way of living people are not are going to want less you know noisy vacuum cleaners and tools and that you know you, i'm sure you've probably heard uh studies that show that tools or vacuum cleaners or whatever that aren't loud enough, people don't think they work well. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but we're kind of getting past that. And companies can cater more toward a more thoughtful way of being. So that's something we do. I'd love to have electric trucks, but they don't exist. They literally you can't buy electric work trucks yet. I mean they're coming. Mm-hmm. But so that'll be probably a few years out. And then um I would say highly conscientious on job sites about ecology and wildlife. If we recognized, you know, any sort of wildlife activity, maybe not including squirrels, um, we will opt to not prune the tree until the timing's right. Um, we maintain wildlife habitat where we, where we can. We do a lot of wildlife snags. Mm-hmm. If we're doing forest work, we try to convince people to do, you know, those like right sized brush piles. Um, so we're just, and even, and even keeping some density sometimes if there's grouse nearby or a lot of different ways we're always thinking about it and also like the neighbor's trees the neighborhood the perspective and the experience of the community and the neighborhood from what we're doing we really take that all into account so we just try all the ways we can i mean the momentum of human impact on this planet is so severe and so accelerated that i don't lie to myself 
that we're making this huge impact. But I do think that showing up as much as you can in that way is is important. And I think on kind of like on a collective conscious level has a domino effect that's really significant. I got to ask. So the noise is not my issue. I've always just been under the impression that batteries don't have the power. How, how do you feel about that? Obviously, you're using your tools. They're all battery and you're out there with full crews and everything. So yeah, I mean, that? our big chainsaws are all gas. And I don't, I don't even know if big chainsaws exist now in battery power. And they are heavy. It's kind of equivalent. Like a gas power saw is in the battery power. The batteries weigh so much that it's almost like the same. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, but with this, we use, so with climbing, we use small saws usually, unless we're doing removals okay. and those work great. Nice. Yeah. And they're, they're, um, you know, they, there's, a, you don't have any of the concern about it not starting in the tree. You have the torque factor. So it, you know, revs up quicker. Um, honestly, we don't really notice it. If you're, if you're in a tree that's got a lot of big limbs, like some massive ancient pine with dead limbs that are a foot in diameter, you might want like a medium, small saw that's gas. And people, we do use those too. So Okay, but for the average yeah. homeowner that's just out there doing their own little stuff, then a battery pack which should be- I would go with it all the way. You never, right. you don't have the smell. You don't have the noise. You don't have to tune it up. I mean, that's to me is the best thing. You don't have to tune it up. You don't have to start it. It's really nice. Canola oil. So are you 100% canola oil in your- In, in the your, bar oil, <clears> to bar be clear. Oil. Yeah, okay. I should have clarified that. Yeah, I don't know. want anybody putting canola oil in their machine. I was just going to oh ask. I was like, I need a little clarification <laughs> on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could have just destroyed like a yeah. thousand. <laughs> Thousands of chains. I got to admit, I was going to go home and try it myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. I actually have a friend who put normal gas in a, or put, uh, yeah, normal gas in his chainsaw and it was like a thousand dollar chainsaw and he destroyed it. Oh, he wasn't an arborist, but um, <laughs> right. Do not put canola oil into your gas tank. <laughs> it's just for bar oil. Awesome. But that's what gets spewed all over the place. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's right. on the bar. So it's getting... Yeah, like six. Yeah, and then there's uh you can buy from a couple sources. I I think Fungi Perfect I still sells at Bar Oil that has um, spores of mycelium of mushrooms in it. Oh, that that are decomposers potentially medicinal mushrooms. Um, and so when you're going, I don't know if it matters that much because you know we're breathing spores constantly if you're in the forest. But it's a neat concept, and I Indeed. think they use an organic based oil as well. It's good to know. Mm. That's great. Wouldn't even thought. I'm loving how you, everything you're saying, you're like, you're right there in your ideology. It doesn't seem like you're giving an inch. Like you said, you want to be an environmental factor here and, and, and be a positive factor. And it seems like everything you're saying, you're right along with that. I would imagine you also have wonderful people working for you. Uh, do they follow the same ideology? Do you look for something like that when you're hiring? Or what do you look for when you're hiring staff? Um, I think I can answer all of those questions in one fell swoop. <laughs> um, in terms of looking for people, I don't look for people. I try to create an environment that is one that people who I want to work with come to. So every once in a while, I'll notice someone and say something to them. But generally, people just kind of show up. And I've never had an intention of growing. I and mean, we, we have grown quite a bit, you know, uh, and every year. But... There's a pretty big crew of us, but I just, I've never, um, I don't really believe in sales, including making too much an effort trying to convince people to come. So I hire someone when the right person comes along. And that can mean someone who has no experience, but is really enthusiastic. I mean, I basically, I look for, I, what I recognize in people that I want to hire is genuine personality. Genuineness is more important to me than like virtue. You know, if someone's a really nice person, 
I don't really care. But if someone's really genuine, I find that more beneficial to the world. And then uh, enthusiasm and um, humility, because you kind of have to be a soldier in this job. You know, I mean, you have to be willing to do a lot of hard work and get hit in the face with sticks and cut and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's intense. And then, and then competence, but competence, I don't, competence can, doesn't mean that they necessarily have a lot of knowledge. It just means that there's someone who is innately has common sense, you know, and, and kind of understand how things work and that sort of thing. So, um, that has led to a really nice community of people who work for me. And a lot of them are artists. A lot of them are people who love trees or come from some sort of, you know, green background. And that is to me, one of my biggest kind of ideological principles slash frustrations is the nature of, of construction and labors. I hear twice a week from a customer, sometimes in tears, how moved they are by our, um, kindness and thoughtfulness and how people are just talking they're not making you know derogatory comments about women i mean we have a bunch of women on our crew too but that's not why but and they're not you know mean to each other there's no like um competitiveness mm-hmm. and people are not used to that and they're shocked it's really uh not what has been the paradigm in our society and that's something that i would like to change like when i was down in mexico and i saw all these guys working doing road work with no ear protection it made me so angry and i i i seriously considered trying to talk to that municipality and saying like, you know, you're destroying these people's well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, tinnitus is one of the top causes of uh, suicide. And so um, I didn't realize that when I did this, that that was the case, but that we, that we would be that different. It's amazing to me, but it's incredible that we live in a world where such a small percentage of the work being done is being done in a, in a way that is honoring people's bodies um, and that there's like this expectation of actually enjoying your job. Mm-hmm. It, there's this downtrodden quality to most construction workers that is unnecessary and unhealthy for them and not great for the community. And so that's really uh, something that's important to me that kind of happened unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a, an amazing thing to say. Other than that's just a wonderful mindset to have with wonderful people. I know I've worked with one of your guys, Jose, and it blew me away how just, again, how you said he was genuine. He was fun to be around. And I want to moan horn. I'm usually a hard worker. And he was. Mm, just zooming by 100 miles per hour, I had to keep up, and it was great. So, yeah, it's a wonderful community that you're you're fostering there at your place. Yeah, That's Jose, Jose, I have nicknames for people. I don't <laughs> tell people that, but his is the saint. Okay, because he's like this quiet. Yes. He doesn't like to talk about thoughtful person. He's just very, you know, conscientious about everything he does. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, he he came to a mushroom class I did, and um, kind of came up and said, Hey, you know, what are you thinking? I think he was working the try. Oh no, he was working here for a different company and it was kind of an oppressive environment. Like I was just talking about and he wanted something different and I didn't want to hire him. Uh, I, I wanted to hire him, but I didn't feel like I had enough space in my company, which has been a theme pretty much every time someone comes along. I'm like, I don't, we don't really need anybody else. And, but if the right person, I hire him. So I said, Jose, why don't you come work with us and see, you know, and I was like, oh yeah, we have to hire him. So then we keep, we hire, but there's never once been someone we've hired where we haven't had plenty of work. So now I just go with the flow. You know, we don't really have much turnover. We, we had a person just take a job in California, but, um, the rare times when someone leaves like that, or whenever someone shows up, if it's right, I just go with it. And it just always works out. You bring up such a good point about, you know, if landowners, you know, have issues on their property and back in the day, you know, you'd pick up the yellow pages and flip through and find what you needed as far as services go. But 
to really think about a business's culture and what they bring to the table is super important. So what are some of the questions that you would say landowners should be asking their arborists before they you know, hire them to do any work? I think the first question you would ask is what their background, like why did they get into the business? Mm-hmm. Which isn't, you know, there are no rules in life, right? So if someone says, oh, I was, you know, a logger and I loved it, that doesn't mean they're not an amazing tree worker, but it just gives you context. And then from that point on, I would ask them very specific questions about what's on your property, like a tree or a shrub. Maybe you notice a, some sort of disease that you're observing, or maybe it doesn't do well in the fall, or you, you know, whatever. It doesn't, you know, you have some issue with fruit. Ask them those kinds of specific questions. It doesn't matter that you don't have the knowledge to discern whether their answer is accurate. You'll know. I mean, we all know if someone is BSing, and it's really common, you know, in our culture. You see it a lot with younger people, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, like where they feel like they're supposed to have an answer no matter what, that's more important than truth. They don't even realize that they're not <laughs> saying anything that matters or useful. So it's, I think it's an instinctive thing we all do. And a litmus test for someone's knowledge and their uh, honesty and their trustworthiness is that they can say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I say all the time. And I, and I say that more and more as I know more and more. And I'll say, well, I don't really know, but my guess is this, or, you know, there's the classic, let me find out kind of thing. But I think any area of knowledge, once you have wisdom in it, then you're on a path that recognizes that it's infinite and you have no clue. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That, that just brings me back to when I was a server and we'd get asked questions. We don't have to put this in there, but... Um, yeah. In the service industry, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. You know, mm-hmm. the people pleaser type of mm-hmm. attitude. And one of the best things I ever learned from a manager is they said, all you have to say is, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure about the answer to that. Let me just go and double check and ask somebody mm-hmm. else. And it was, and I have kept that with me and it's just been such a relieving thing to say. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I encourage people to use that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that we don't know we can do that. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, oh, oh. yeah, like you said, we have to always have the answer. And people like the the experience of another authority being referenced. Mm-hmm. You know, like in your situation, like, oh, they t- the manager's coming or they talk to the manager, you know, makes them feel important. And in real life, it's like, oh, he's going to go do some research. He's going to talk to other people in the industry. It shows a devotion to uh, delivering yeah. the request. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say are some of the biggest mistakes that you see when you go to landowners' properties and there are issues with a tree that's been pruned? What are some of the biggest mistakes you see? People have a tendency to see trees as a shape. Mm-hmm. opposed to a framework, you know, and all a tree is, is, is a plant that builds a building to live on mm-hmm. and variations from a tree down to a plant of how that can be done with woody material. And so it's just, it's a framework, right. That also can achieve other goals like fruit production or beauty or fitting into a particular space, um, or wildlife support. So, um, people see the outside, the shape of it. Mm-hmm. And so they prune thinking that they're supposed to modify that. But the the building is based on the, the infrastructure of it. And that's the biggest mistake is they, they don't go into the center of the tree and observe how it's connected, how it's built, and start there. The, the external things and the superficial things, those are like fine finishing touches. And so you immediately know someone that knows or doesn't know how to prune, regardless of whether they're a homeowner or they're an arborist, uh-huh. by if it's clearly they're doing that that way. 
Um, I would say that's probably the biggest thing. Another, another, uh, practice I see often is people, they don't understand they, they have a, a problem or a perception, but their solution often doesn't match what it is. For instance, like there'll be a tree in between two houses and they will want to bring it down because it feels too big. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you suggest to them, well, why don't you actually remove the lower branches so there's some space between your houses or bring them in and train the tree to go actually higher so it fills the space better and you you can get more light coming in the sides uh, and through the bottom, you might actually achieve your goal better. And then it's done and it's exactly what they wanted, but they didn't have the terminology or the experience to recognize it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really common is this idea of lowering things uh, right. to achieve a goal that doesn't actually it's like it's the only thing they can think of to do. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a pretty big one. <laughs> yeah. So we at the Conservation District get this question asked all the time um, and request of our forestry department. But what can a landowner do when they see a hazardous tree, but it's not on their property, say on their neighbor's property or something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously they want to report it, but how does that all work out? Well, first, you know, the question is, is it actually hazardous? Right. Because there's a lot of assumptions made about what hazard is and what hazard isn't. And the, the most obvious one being leaning trees. Mm-hmm. So in the big windstorms here, the the leaning pines that weren't severely leaning were less likely to come down. You know, it's like if you look at the ones that broke, they tend to be straighter because mm-hmm. it's like working out. The tree needs to develop tissue to support the lean and it gives it some innate strength. There is a point where that ceases to be true and the the leverage, you know, becomes a, a more dominant force. But uh, so I would say a lot of the time when people bring that up, there actually isn't a hazard that's that's um, significant. But assuming there is, to answer your question, I would say the, the best thing to do is to have us talk to the neighbor, mm-hmm. depending on your rapport. But it was one of the, there's a couple things I did not anticipate getting in this business. And one of them is the immense amount of contention between neighbors. Mm-hmm. I, we end up in jobs all the time where people won't talk to each other. I mean, as a matter of fact, we just got a call this morning with this really angry person because when we pruned their neighbor's tree, we didn't prune enough on their side. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And these neighbors <laughs> hate each other. I hope they're not listening to this podcast. <laughs> and they have signs. These two neighbors have signs facing each other about like one's about not letting anything on their property because no matter what the leaves and the other one's about not throwing things on their property. Oh no. (laughs) So often I, I, now I've learned to just automatically offer when someone brings it up, I say, well, um, would you, I think this would be a good idea. Would you, would you like me to talk to your neighbor and just bring it up? Cause it's back to that thing about talking to the manager. Mm -hmm. It's really, uh, there's a smoothness when I come up as an arborist and say, Hey, your neighbor's concerned about this tree. We looked at it. We think this would be these, um, you know, pruning, uh, specifications would be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about that? And you let them decide. And almost always <clears throat> they're, they're very, you know, amenable and fine. Even if they don't like the neighbor, they feel like it's almost like you're giving them opportunity to show that they're not as horrible as their neighbor thinks they are. <laughs> as long as the neighbor's not the one asking them. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, you can offer to pay for some of it. Like that's often done and it really helps if the neighbor says, Hey, I'm concerned with this tree. I know it's a, an expense. Um, I'd be happy to split it with you or, you know, sometimes pay for the whole thing, whatever. And then the neighbor that's having it done sometimes will decline and say, no, that's fine. I'll get it. And 
So it's those would be my thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if it's just like in that situation right there where you're just communicating with signs, if one neighbor has branches that are leaning into the other neighbor's place and the other neighbor is saying, hey, it's littering on my yard, do they have the right to cut those branches or do they have to call someone or do they have to make the homeowner do it? The, the laws aren't as clear as you would think, but the general understanding I have is that you can do anything you want technically as long as you're not damaging the tree and then you become liable, right? If there's any wound that's so large that a pathogen could be introduced or a, a, um, you know, some sort of structural modification that actually compromises its integrity as a tree. If you're not doing that, you can, I think it's in really poor taste. I recommend to anyone listening to this that you don't do that without talking to them. We won't do that. If if a customer asks us to prune any branch of anybody besides their own, we always talk to uh, the person and make sure that they're cool with it. And actually I did once when I was first in this business, get hired to prune somebody else's tree, but I didn't know it. It was there. It was there tricking me on purpose. There was no fence. And I didn't realize it was like slightly over the fence line. And she'd waited for her neighbor to leave town on vacation. And oh, she's no. like, I need you guys to do it between like oh April gosh. 2nd and the seventh. Like she had her specific dates. Thought went into that one. Yeah. And then when I found out I was so angry at her, and then she tried to set me up with her daughter, which I just thought was the oh weirdest thing. Oh, my like I got <laughs> I your partners in crime. You know, yeah, exactly. This lady had multiple checklists <laughs> to get through. And the other thing I was kind of wondering about, just thinking on that question, is um, I get the question a lot of times, pine needles, are they acidic or not? Once they hit the ground or? So it is not an issue in terms of increased acidity in the soil for the most part, just like on the okay. surface. And um, – my conviction about responding that with, you know, so confidently is because of Linda Chalker Scott. Do you know her? No. She's, um, she, I don't know technically what, what she's, you know, what her designation is, but she specializes in addressing myths with plants and trees, gardens, landscapes, et cetera. Um, with, with, I think, uh, more in like urban settings. And she has a, like a Facebook group and I, she has her own website and she's amazing. And she's very much a devoted scientist. She's very not into belief systems and not into, you know, urban legends or any sort of bias. She's into like, what is, what do we actually know? What does the science say? And she's, she, there's a lot of things that most people believe, including people I know, including myself, that I, when I hear her speak or I read her material, I realize that um, it's not necessarily true. And that's one of them. And she talks about the pine needles. Great. And can you say that name one more time? Yeah. Linda Chalker Scott. Linda Chalker Scott. And she speaks in this area. She she you'll see here at different functions and events and you know industry right. events. Always looking for someone new to read, so or yeah. to check out. So heck yeah. So we just did a tour of the Inland Empire paper company. And it was really interesting to see what they do with wood chips and, and ah. how they're hauling them and moving them and repurposing them. Uh, do y'all do anything with your wood what, chips? What do they do with them? So they actually turned it into paper. It's oh. really cool. They made oh, it into I pulp see. and paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the whole process was amazing. Gotcha. We'll get into that in a, in a future episode here. But mm-hmm. uh, just knowing that there is a possibility to repurpose wood chips. I mean, mm-hmm. we do it at the farm just yeah. as weed control. Uh, how do y'all repurpose them? Uh, okay, so I'm glad you asked this question because we take a lot of pride in our efforts to repurpose all parts of the tree. Mm-hmm. Starting with the wood chips, we have a running list. So we'll drop off chips to any church, garden, organic farm, you know, um, resident of the city for free within the city limits. 
And then we have a small fee if you're outside of the city limits. And we just think of that as a wonderful way as like a service. And then we never run out of places to go. We do sometimes in the winter, it might be difficult. So sometimes we'll bring them to the conservation district to you guys. Um, and then uh, the Arboretum in Spokane uses them. And there's various kind of, there's farms. If we don't have someone or the weather's bad, we can just go to. But we we have a list that never ends of people who want some. And how does someone get on that list? They just call us up call spirit pruners and we'll put them down and we have it by location. We don't, um, we only do full loads, which is a lot, you know, it's probably around 15 yards could be more. So it's a big drop. And, um, we just kind of get there when we can. And if it's out of town, it can be a while, you know, we don't really guarantee it, but people use them for, you know, uh, sheet mulching their lawn, if they want to get their lawn or paths or in between beds. Um, it's used for a lot of different things. I know people who have chickens who put a thick layer of wood chips over their entire yard. And then just because of, you know, the chicken waste, it becomes this incredible compost, even though it's wood chips pretty quickly. You get your carbon, your nitrogen right there, and it just turns into great soil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's wood chips. But every, every time I look at something we are removing, and uh, I think most of us would say this, we are considering what it can be used for. So I have a fellow in town that uses locust, um, straight locust branches or small trees for fence posts. I have wood turners. Anytime we have any, anytime we have anything that looks good for carving or turning or milling, we keep it. I I know about 12 people who mill wood, which has been a whole wonderful revolution that's happened in the last 10 years. You know, I think probably all over the country, but definitely here. And um, everybody wants to have their own mill and it's, it's wonderful. So most of the wood that's coming down, a lot of it, at least if it can be, is being milled, you know, especially if it's hardwood. And I keep all fruit wood so that uh, people that need it for smoking or, you know, barbecuing or whatever, they have fruit wood. And there's tons of other stuff. I mean, I just, I'm always getting requests. We, there's a, there's a um, alternative school. It's kind of like a Waldorf kind of school. It's, it's, I think it's called the Forest School. And they use branches and logs for their whole, their whole like playground area. But it's, it's not a playground. It's just, it's their whole big area outdoors for the kids to play in with the idea that kids need to move, have a little risk, climb things. Mm-hmm. Yes. So just Love every it. way we had, we had someone contact us about um, wanting rot- certain kinds of rotten wood for beetles that they were cultivating. I mean, the list, I, it goes on forever and um, we so have cool. it. Yeah. So it's something that I feel, I feel that, you know, there's the four agreements. You've heard of the four agreements. No. It's from this tribe in northern Mexico, and they didn't have a religion, but they had four agreements. And I can't remember necessarily what they are, but one of them is like, do your best at everything. One's be impeccable with your word. Do your best at everything. I can't remember the other two. Well, <laughs> <laughs> those two are good. Um, I feel like, I think most people try to do that to some extent, do the best they can in their lives. But if you really recognize that, like, you're here, we're here for whatever reason we're here. We're just here, or there's some higher reason. We're here, like do it, you know, and if you can't enjoy it and if you can't really throw yourself into it, then you need to shift what you're doing like immediately or you better food or whatever you need to do it. So we really try to do that as spirit pruners. We try to do everything that we can, like to the best of our ability and recognize it when we're not. And so repurposing is part of that. I feel like we all need to optimize everything. And I think that the planet is in a place of, you know, obviously of, of rapid transformation in a way that could be um, terminal. And so I think mm-hmm. it's, it's a time unlike any other time that we immediately need to optimize everything we're doing constantly uh, if we're going to initiate the changes in the planet we need to before we take things too far. 
Well, Kelly, you obviously have just such a great outlook on life and you have a great philosophy surrounding our boar culture and your company. And um, I'm, I'm curious where the name Spirit Pruner came from. Um, ironically, it's from my my ex semi wife person. Oh, <laughs> uh, who um, I really think it was a great name, and she was really good with words. Uh, mm-hmm. I I think it's a perfect name for us. I'll, but it was her idea. A lot of people think it's spiritually. It comes from a spiritual orientation, mm-hmm. which it doesn't. I mean, if you if you define spirituality as just being aware of the nuances of things and the energy of everything and how things interrelate, which I think could be a definition, then I would say it it is spiritual, Uh but it's just more the idea of having uh, real attention to what we do and recognizing the needs of all parties involved. When we show up uh, at a job, I think probably our, our primary goal or mission is that everybody's needs are seen and addressed and all parties feel really good when we leave. And that includes obviously the employees and the client, but also the neighborhood, you know, the house, the, the, the ecology of the trees, wildlife that are there, our own artistic sensibility. And if we can bring all of those things together, then, then we've kind of achieved what our goal is. And I do think that makes us unique. There are plenty of other really wonderful tree companies in Spokane and some that were very instrumental and helpful to us as we developed. But I think that that kind of approach, which is a, is a, is somewhat distinctive to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, what would you say is the state of tree care in our community? I feel pretty good about it. I think as you go further away from Spokane, that trends down pretty quickly. I will give some credit, a lot of credit to Angel Spell, mm-hmm. because that was one of her missions when she was running Urban Forestry, is, and I think still is, as much as she can include it in the purview of what she does, is to cultivate arborists that are knowledge-based people and passionate about what they do. Um, and the world is more informed and more thoughtful, and I think it's harder to be a good old boy that is just getting the job done, you know, mm-hmm. than it used to be. So. Uh, and I think people know what they're good at too. So com- companies that are more comfortable doing big pruning of deadwood or uh, removing a tree, um, that's where they put their energy and they will refer other companies that are more focused on the pruning part. So I would be careful. I mean, I still do hear fairly, you know, often someone saying, oh yeah, you know, somebody told me I should take this tree down or told me that this tree's dying and it's not true at all. And I always ask them, who, do you know who it is? And I keep a running record of companies um, and I will share that information because I think it's important sometimes with them. Mm-hmm. I'll call companies and say, Hey, like I heard this and I have a different impression. I want to talk to you about it. I'll, I've walked up to people on job sites that aren't um, wearing protective gear mm-hmm. in front of their bosses and told them that they, you know, are hurting themselves. Yeah. And uh, so I think you have to be willing to, I think everybody needs to be willing to speak without judgment. Mm-hmm. And I think, but I think it's, I feel pretty good. I think there's a, there's a lot of really good arborists in Spokane now. And a lot of people that used to work for companies that are running their own little independent operations. Mm-hmm. Do you ever offer any trainings or workshops or anything for community members or anybody who's looking to getting into um, possibly being an arborist? Somewhat. We just did, we, we just did in collaboration with Holistic Pruners, which is a, a fellow that worked with us for a long time, um, a class, a fruit tree class at a church in Spokane. 
And we have people ask us to do classes. We sometimes offer them as auction items. We have a company policy that anybody that we're working with that wants to learn um, about pruning, we're happy to train them on the job. It's just, you know, like whatever we cost to be there. Mm-hmm. We, we have no idea of retaining business. I, 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 yeah, I think the myth of scarcity in general is a necessary, but definitely in tree work. I mean, there's no limit of tree work. So we're happy for people to, to teach people on the, on the job. And then, you know, sometimes we'll do something more specific. Like um, one of Jose, you mentioned earlier, he's putting together an aerial rescue class and that's for us. But later in the year, we'll repeat it and offer that to other companies. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you. How can they contact you? Well, you can't, you can't, if you, 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 <laughs> you can't through seeing any of our equipment because we don't have any of your phone numbers. Okay. It's kind of part of our non-sales philosophy. Okay. Um, but you can, we have a website that is actually a pretty nice website. Ben, ben uh, Delaney, who works with us and did a lot of front-end website design and is, is kind of part of our company. He built it and it it's a really a nice website. website. So, and, um, and you know, you can Google us or you can ask you guys the city, mm-hmm. but yeah, just call up spirit pruners and we will get you taken care of. Awesome. This has been a fabulous episode jam packed with lots of great information. Love your philosophy. Like you said, on our boar culture and just how you look at trees and approach pruning and, you know, approach any hazards and things like that. Um, but at the end of our episodes, we always like to do a little bit of a spitfire round so we can ask you some random questions so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more. To, you to, down? To uh, tor- torture the guests. <laughs> yeah, just to torture the- you. <laughs> okay. That's all we're in it for. <laughs> you, you down? I'm ready. Okay. So if you are what you eat, what are you? I think that we are all the ecosystem of Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, so like when people look at a tree, they often think that lichen or the algae or the little, um, what are those bear things called? The little. Oh, bear um, things. Water bears, I think. Anyway, oh, yeah. Okay. They're, they're, you can't distinguish. I think one of the things that humans have done is try to distinguish, you know, like sterilize, isolate, and you can't do that. So um, I think when you don't eat well, you are. A, choosing not to live a passionate and lively and vibrant life. And you're also dishonoring uh, the earth that we come from because uh, it's food is politics, food is religion, mm-hmm. and food is your experience. And we spend so much time taking prescription medication, mm-hmm. most of which could be avoided if you change your diet and your lifestyle a little bit. Yeah. So with that, what's your favorite food? <laughs> uh, you know, I do eat a lot of fruit. And when I, when I travel, I... Um, I will go into the jungle and find fruits and talk, find people in that village or wherever and ask them if it can be eaten. Uh, and um, I've eaten a tremendous number of wild things in my life. So I really, really enjoy. There's something, you know, I mean, we were monkeys, right? Climbing in trees, collecting fruit. That's like our nature. So I think there's an innate human um, desire and appreciation on a very deep level for fruit. Mm-hmm. But I, that, that, I mean, I also like sushi and I cook, I cook a lot and... Yeah. Cool. Uh, so you talked about traveling. Any travel plans in your future or hopeful travel plans? Yeah. So my girlfriend and I just got back from uh, some time in Mexico that was really uh, fabulous down in Tulum. The one place I really want to go this year, which is I think my favorite place on the planet, but was set, shut down because of COVID, is called Tassajara Hot Springs. And mm. it's a Zen Buddhist monastery in the mountains in California that in the 
April through September is a resort and it is in one of the most rugged places in the country. And it's a endemic ecosystem that has a lot of species that are only found there. And it has this incredible hot springs that was a, a native American hot springs for the Esalen Indians before they were wiped out. Mm-hmm. It's a magical, magical place. Oh gosh, it sounds so, amazing. And I, I hope to go down there and actually teach a meditation slash tree working class at some point. They don't know this. This is <laughs> so I hope to take my girlfriend down there this year. That's awesome. Yeah. If you had to identify with either a plant or a tree, what would you say represents you or your way of thinking? Oh man. Trying to go in depth here. I yeah. was like, woo. <laughs> um, you know, there was a tree that I experienced in the Sierra Madre this uh, a year ago, actually, this winter. And I can't remember the name of it, the genus. It has spikes on it. like They like, look like Hershey's Kisses, and they're very sharp. I Supposedly, the Aztecs used it to pierce themselves. Hmm. Um, and it has these pumpkin-shaped fruit that are green that explode. So I'm so someone who's listening to this probably knows what this tree is. Um, and these beautiful, uh, big lobed leaves. And I, this tree I related to probably more than any tree I've ever seen because it was, um, sharp and intense, but it was also had this really soft flowing quality and it was, there was a lot of birds around it. Um, and it had a presence. I mean, I haven't said anything woo, I don't think, in this <laughs> interview, but I have a lot of unusual belief systems. And I do experience trees as having a certain energetic resonance. And I have a way that I describe it and can share that with other people. And this one definitely had the strongest of anything I have experienced. And my perception of it was was of a highly intelligent being, obviously without a nervous system. Um, but of course, that's all being questioned right now in the scientific world as well. So mm-hmm. uh, sorry, I can't give you the name. <laughs> That is fantastic. Look up. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay. Uh, favorite movie? Favorite movie. I mean, I don't really be- believe or have favorites in life in general. So okay. I'm just or going to. Or the last to, movie you watched. Yeah. My, my girlfriend's really into Disney movies, which is hilarious. <laughs> I love Disney. Um, okay. And uh, I, I, I really liked, is it Coco? Yeah. I thought that was an amazing movie. It I, was good. Yeah. So that was one that I was pretty fond of. I, I like the new, oh, I love the new Dune. Yes. Um, I love the pace of it mm-hmm. and the, the, the depth of it. You know, it was mm-hmm. really, it tried to create power, not through special effects and speed and noise, but through like poignancy and space and intensity. I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it kept really, really well with the book. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I was um, a little scared on the casting at first, and then I saw, and everybody's acting. Yeah. I got to agree with you. Dune was, the new Dune was pretty good. (laughs) On the book note, last book you read? The last book I read, um, I'm kind of considering lying to this answer because (laughs) I've read like five books kind of simultaneously. I'm Uh not a fast reader, but I'm trying to think of like which one's the best one to answer. Uh So I'll say this one. Um, okay, I'm going to say two because the other one's really trippy and I want to say something else trippy. Okay. Um, there's this book called Bre- Breath or Breathe, and it talks about uh, different ways of cha- changing people's experience of life through how they breathe and then goes through all these different practices, you know, like old ones and new ones. But the takeaway from the book that is amazing to me is if you can as much as possible breathe slowly about 
six seconds in and six, five to six seconds in, five to six seconds out through your nose. It can literally change the chemistry of your body, your facial structure. There's all these benefits. Um, they also said you want to chew more because we eat too much soft food. So that book was really good. And then the, the book I read that, um, is on a more of a, like a, um, metaphysical level was called the law of one. And it was, it was, uh, a documentation of these three people who channeled a being from a different star system in the future for several years. And it's, and they, it's just all interviews and it's just immense amount of very dense information called the law of one in two mm-hmm. volumes. And I've never believed in religions and I've never had a religion, but I've just, this is my religion. Like I, I've accepted their description of what's happened in the universe as one that I believe. That's awesome. Yeah. So now I got to ask, do you have a, fa- a favored, not favorite, a favored philosopher? You know, right now, so I grew up in a Zen Buddhist, not in, but like around a Zen Buddhist monastery and a lot of people kind of in the guru world. So, um, uh, the one that I probably studied with someone who had studied with the most is Gurdjieffian philosophy, which has some crossover to Zen. Um, the book I read most recently that influenced me the most, which is super common and I've read for years and never go around to it, is, um, is uh, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, which I thought did a better job in this kind of mantric, um, steady way of really giving you a sense of what that means more than anything I've ever read in my life. I, I have been enjoying um, Allen Ginsberg's, um, I mean, sorry, I mean, Alan Watts's infiltration to society. Like there's so many musicians using him now. I was at a sound bath recently where they started with recording of his and ended and he's such a good speaker. Um, and I think he really distills a lot of meaningful concepts. So oh, yeah. those are some thoughts. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like Alan Watts. He's really good. Yeah. I listen to him. When I, like you said, he has that voice. He can really, and it brings... Thoughts, poignant thoughts, just really easy to form inside your brain. And I like his use of uh, bells and mm-hmm. noises to really bring you back and to keep you centered. Yeah. That's awesome. But I, I, if I can, I want to make one more comment yeah. Okay, about that, which is um, I think that one of the elements of this zeitgeist is the recognition that the guru was an externalization of our own efforts and that it's kind of like a false construct and that we are all our own guru. So the really amazing philosophical um, orientation that's happening now is everybody in any of the modalities of consciousness work, everybody's recognizing that it's a group effort. And it's it's amazing to watch. And you see people doing it in all sorts of different ways. There's podcasters, there's sound baths, there's breath work. I mean, I know countless people who are offering this. And that communal integration of the guru concept i think is is really significant i like that in my mind everything you just said all i can see is everybody in the cave and they're finally turning around to see the light and they're finally leaving the cave so that's that's a great right on yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right and one final question we always ask our guests beatles or rolling stones uh i guess beatles (laughs) (laughs) i guess beatles that's the first thought answer point goes to the rolling stones though what? The way you said that, I think the point goes to the Rolling Stones. Right, totally. <laughs> well, Kelly, this has been an awesome interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us and talk all things trees. Um, tell us again the website. I think it's spiritpruners.com. Okay. So yeah. there you go. Go ahead and check them out, spiritpruners.com. 
Uh, tune in again next week. We got the city of Spokane and their SmartScape program coming on in to tell us all about that. Thanks for tuning in, listeners. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.